coming up on Stu Does America. United States of America, yeah, this country you're in right now, it has a hospital bed shortage. Hospital beds. Huh. See, that's insane on its own. Wait until you hear the reason why. Then, if your small business is about to be a former business, Brian Riedel joins us to show us how some of the trillions of your dollars being given out can actually come back to you. And Dan Andrews from FaithWire tells us about how faith organizations are erecting emergency hospitals to help with coronavirus and how the left is somehow mad about it. For those of you who stuck around and watched this show this week, thank you so much for honoring my sacrifice. I have risked certain corona-flavored death to try to help you make sense out of this insanity. Maybe follow the example of that kid from Sixth Sense and build a pillow fort and uh, have your vomit-spewing ghost pals. No, that's, uh, oh, no, it's pay it forward. Pay it forward. That's the one, the Helen Hunt one. Do that one. Pay it forward. Subscribe to the content. It's great. Rate it, preferably five stars, and review us. You know, it's great. Whatever. And if you haven't already, take advantage of my Stuber Gear Super Duper Special Quarantine Discount for Blaze TV subscriptions. Go to blazetv.com slash stew and make sure to use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. And they'll also knock 30 bucks off the price of a subscription. Things continue to escalate around the world, but I remain faithful in bringing you new content every night for as long as I am physically able to do so. Now that you mention it, my calf has really been kind of flaring up lately. Might be time for a little quarantine. Stu does America. If you're like me and you've heard things like, we're running short on hospital beds and ventilators, you probably thought, um, this is America, right? I mean, if I've learned anything from watching local television in America is that there are always plenty of beds available at very cheap prices. Hey, this is Big Mike at This Is It Furniture, and we've been wheeling and dealing on furniture and mattress sets for over 20 years now, and we're still going down and down and down. We got queen-size jumbo mattress sets starting at $298. Down down. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not father of the year by any means, but that does seem a little too young to have a meth party with your kids. I'm just, maybe it's just me. You can get cheap beds everywhere in America, and you don't have to buy them from screaming families. You can also buy them from elderly alien fighters. Free delivery, free setup, and six months free financing. Mr. Martin, did all these Martians buy our furniture? Yeah, and I hope they don't expect free delivery all the way to Mars. You got that right. <laughs> get it? You can't deliver. Can't deliver all the way to Mars for free. That's that would be too expensive, and that's. That's why it's funny. And you can buy them from incredibly talented rappers. Living rooms, bedrooms, dinettes. Oh, yeah. Come shop with us. Be sure we're talking corner furniture. You want the best? Forget about the rest. You're like us. We're sure we're talking corner furniture. (laughs) It's going to be stuck in your head all day. I promise. So how can our hospitals be running out of beds? Well, it's going to shock you to hear that the government was involved. It all starts back in the 1960s with the innovation and invention of Medicare and Medicaid. Now, you might think that might be the only issue, but no, you can get a bed even when you participate in multiple government programs. True. I'd like to buy a bedroom set. Do you have any credit? No, I receive Social Security and welfare. You have to see the special man. With no 
problem. Mm. That particular commercial won the Social Security and Welfare Lady a Best Actress Oscar nomination. It's true. So now that the government has these brand new giant health programs and they are now the ones paying all the brand new giant health bills at the hospitals, they decided, you know, maybe we should do something about this. For some reason, they thought if there were too many hospitals, people might wind up using the beds even when they didn't really need them because most people really enjoy a good old trip to the hospital. If they didn't want us there, they wouldn't make the food so delicious. So instead of figuring out ways to increase competition to lower costs, they decided to try to lower costs by decreasing competition. If there weren't beds, then they wouldn't be filled. Right, guys? Who's with me? Great idea. Obviously, the only way to improve on thinking like that, which is a direct result of one massive government uh, problem, uh, is launching another massive layer of government. The idea was a certificate of need law. States started passing these things all over the place, and by 1980, everybody but Louisiana had at least one. There are lots of variations in the details, but basically, if you want to build a hospital with lots of new hospital beds, you have to go to the state and prove the area really needs it. And guess who gets to make the case that your new hospital isn't needed? That would be your competition, the existing hospitals in the area. It's like if you wanted to open up a McDonald's and had to prove to the state that it was needed. And then Burger King was able to testify against you. And I'm now hungry. (sighs) Didn't last long. While I put in multiple online uh, orders, allow me to pause for this important message from baseball legend Pete Rose. But Kiana, I just have to get this Paula Deen bedroom set. Pete, I've been trying to tell you and Kiana that Munchen's Furniture has the lowest prices in Cincinnati with savings up to 70% off. Wow, Wow, look at it all. all. (laughs) He's not in the Hall of Fame for baseball, but he should be for acting. The Certificate of Need Laws, or Con Laws, it's an appropriate name, Con Laws, along with the National Health Planning Resources Development Act of 1974, or... were all part of the health planning movement which attempted to bring all the wonders of Soviet-style central planning directly into the moments where your life and death were decided. It's not just that hospital beds were dealing with this. It's everything from ambulances to medical equipment, including MRIs and, of course, ventilators. The government has also attempted separately to stockpile ventilators in case of a situation just like the one we're facing now, but weren't able to figure out how to buy them. Seems like a really easy thing to do. If you have money, you can usually buy something. Unless, of course, you're in an Apple store. Or at least, as we found out lately, if you're trying to buy toilet paper for some bizarre reason. It didn't take all that long before people started realizing that the health planning movement was operating like the result of another kind of movement, speaking of toilet paper. So since 1980, 14 states have repealed their certificate of need laws. But most states still have them, and some, like New York, have as many as 18 different laws. So far, about 15 states have repealed the laws during the COVID-19 crisis, which makes sense. But, uh, you know, look, I know and you know it. Does government know it? The best time to prepare for a crisis is when it's already started. Just like the best time for a parody of Austin Powers and Dr. Evil was whatever year this was. 
At Trent Bedding, we can help you distinguish between good and evil prices. Oh wait, did you say evil prices? At Trent Bedding, we have queen pillow top sets for one million dollars. Mm, I believe they're four hundred dollars, baby. Bye. At Trent Bedding, we have queen pillow top sets for four hundred dollars. Luckily, our government is as good at healthcare as local businesses are at doing their own commercials. When it comes to the pro-choice or argument, we hear all the time about access to health care. It's very important. But there are tons of restrictions on the free market that actually do limit access to actual health care. You know, the kind where you're hoping everyone involved lives through it. We're in a crisis right now. And if you haven't noticed, when it really matters, when everything is hitting the fan, when every minute counts, everybody turns into a libertarian. Everybody wants all these stupid restrictions out of the way because it's just too important. Well, maybe it should be important all the time. After this is over, we should be all kind of able to unite in demanding these ridiculous obstacles and regulations go away forever. That should bring both sides together almost as much as buying furniture does. Look at the sofa. It's perfect for a black person or a white person. This mattress is perfect for a white person or a black person. At the Red House, where black people and white people buy furniture. If you want a coherent conversation to descend into mumbling, ask your friends about the massive $2 trillion coronavirus aid, relief and economic security act, a.k.a. the CARES Act, a.k.a. the COVID-19 stimulus package, a.k.a. free money that should be spent immediately on meaningless objects without the slightest foresight, all of which makes for the great quarantine conversation of the year. It is a daunting bill, but it is incredibly important, as we've talked about. And as you might expect, it's not exactly an easy read. It's got uh, more subsections than a travel guide to Amsterdam, if you remember what travel actually was. First, we have to figure out how the bill affects us in the most immediate sense, i.e. how and when you are actually getting paid. And we need to figure out uh, what are the potential sinister underlying effects, which there are some. Uh, Brian Riedel, senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, joins us now to help us go through it. Brian, thanks for coming on the program. Glad to be here. So let's start here before we get into the bill itself i mean holy crap 6.6 million people come out and uh and file for unemployment i mean these numbers are worse than the most catastrophic estimates that i saw even um, late last week it's remarkable you know the record for jobless claims in one week was a little under seven hundred thousand. uh that was during the worst times we've had in history and yet we had three and a half million last week, 6.6 million this week, 10 million in two weeks. It's, mm. it's remarkable. It's more than the entire Great Recession a decade ago in just two weeks. And the interesting thing is it's by design. The government has mandated that much of the economy shut down. And so this is what happens. 10 million people out of work. It's, it's remarkable. I have never heard it put that way. More than the entire Great Recession combined in two weeks. 
Oh, man, this is I mean, the trade offs and we spent a lot of time talking about this, the trade offs between an obvious real threat as we're talking about the virus itself and the economy. You know, I think the, the media likes to kind of put a spin on it as like if you if you care about the economy in any way, you hate all the old people and want them to die immediately. Um, when the reality is this is actually a really difficult thing to try to figure out how to balance because there's so many unknowns involved. Right. There's a lot of downplaying of the economic effects. Look, I understand that shutting down the economy, at least for for a few weeks, is necessary because the pandemic's spreading. People aren't going to want to go to work. Even if the government tries to reopen, Mm -hmm. people aren't going to send their kids to school. People are not going to go to work. They're going to refuse. We have to do everything we can. But that doesn't mean that the economic costs are not real and enormous and have to be taken into account. There are people, there are companies that are not going to come back after this. There are restaurants, there are small businesses that are not going to come back. That is a real cost. And that's why it is incumbent on on government to figure out how to get us back to work as fast as possible, whether that's sort of a mass testing situation, whether we gradually reopen parts of the economy. We got to figure out something fast because you cannot just simply shut down a $20 trillion economy for months on end. It's just it's absurd. It's not feasible. We got to figure out how to get the economy moving in a way that doesn't endanger people. Hmm. It's an amazing it's an amazing thing just to talk about. I can't believe we're actually here. Uh, I mean, a month ago, we're sitting here talking about what a great economy it was and uh, in a totally different world. Um, I, I do feel one of the things obviously one of the things they've tried to do to keep this economy going in some way is this massive bill, $2.2 trillion, the CARES Act, because, you know, when bills are named nice, that means they work better. Um, I do feel, though, that the government itself has done a terrible job communicating what this this bill does outside of everyone's going to get $1,200 checks. Outside of that, I feel like there is a lot in there that they have not really communicated, particularly to small business owners. You agree with that? Not only has the government not communicated it, they're not implementing it very well. Mm. Uh, for instance, the small business portion is supposed to give grants of up to $10 million to small businesses that their loans, if you lay off your workers, their grants, if you retain your workers. Mm-hmm. So the idea is the government is basically saying, we'll help pay the salary of your workers if you if you keep them on staff. The problem is not only has it not been communicated, but... The Small Business Administration disagrees with the legislation on how to implement it, and the banks don't understand how to implement it, and everyone's fighting over what standards does a business have to use to prove it's qualified. As a result, the the small businesses don't know what to do. They don't know if they qualify. They don't know who they're supposed to be in contact with. The banks are arguing with the uh, SBA. The SBA is arguing with Congress. And while that's happening, these poor small business owners are, 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 are having their bills piled up without paying. It is it is a classic government mood boondoggle. And it really shows kind of a lack of preparedness on the part of the government. Yeah, no, I mean, and look, it's, it's a difficult situation. Obviously, they had to throw this together in a, in a short period of time. But you're right. It's a disaster. And you know, these small businesses are looking at their situation and saying, I have zero revenue. I can only last a few weeks. Do I keep these people on knowing that this loan is coming or do I lay them off? Um, and I, I that that doesn't seem to be any clear answers on that. And they don't have enough time to hold on before the answers come. That's right. They don't know what to do right now. They don't, you know, small businesses don't sit around with six months 
of of operations in their in their savings accounts. That's not how they they operate. A lot of these are very small mar small margin tight margin businesses and industries. A lot of these these business owners are trying to do the right thing. They're trying to retain their employees, but they can't if these programs don't come through. And right now, there's a degree of chaos. Yeah, a friend of mine is a small business owner. He texted me when we were talking about this plan on the air one day, and he said, "Look, I'm a you know I want to keep my employees on. You know the issue is they're offering me I think I think he said a few weeks of salary for these employees um, if he qualifies, of course." But the, they don't turn into they don't turn into grants unless you keep them employed for four months. So if we're all sitting home for four months, how is he making up that difference? He's going to go bankrupt. Yeah, it's it's, it's not going to be enough. You know, as a matter of fact, I think the total comes to about five or ten thousand dollars per employee is the amount that you can that you can actually collect. Mm. If this thing goes three, four months, that's not going to be enough to pay the salary of, of an employee. And it's especially not going to be enough to have any money left over to pay your mortgage, to pay your, your other expenses that these small businesses have. That's why these programs are either going to have to be expanded pretty quickly or we're going to have to get the economy back to work pretty soon. These programs are they're temporary band-aids. And if we can't get the implementation right, they're not even that. Mm. Yeah. I, and I think this also leads us to there's going to be a phase four and a phase five and a phase six. And how, God only knows how many there's going to be here. Uh, we've already heard Donald Trump talking about a two trillion dollar stimulus package. Um, but I mean, these 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 you're right. This is a short term bandaid. If it actually even gets implemented, how many mm -hmm. of these things are we going to have to deal with and how many can we deal with? You know, I hope phase four is going to be the last phase four. And then there's going to be a phase four, uh, if not to expand and clarify how some of these current programs work. There's probably going to be a phase four to continue to bail out state and local governments. They get one hundred and fifty billion dollars in the last bill. But think of Las Vegas. Las Vegas is completely shut down right now. Their city government's collecting no revenue with all of their new expenses. If for nothing else, you're going to need some extensions and some more state and local bailouts. What I'm worried is a phase five, phase six, and phase seven, because at that point, that means we haven't gotten the pandemic fixed. And at that point, we've shut down the economy for half a year or more. I don't know how that is even the least bit workable. And also, by the time you're getting to phase six or phase seven, you're probably getting into some of the Keynesian stimulus stuff we saw in 2009, where you're trying to jumpstart the economy with a bunch of pork projects. That's when I start to worry. Oh, gosh. Um let me let me ask you this. You have I've been thinking about this a little bit. and I, I wonder if you can help me put a put a number on this in my head. I was thinking about the economy as, and we keep kind of using as shorthand uh, the economy shutdown. We've shut down the economy. And like that's not obviously true. Like, for example, me and you are working. Right. Uh, there's the, the, the guy who's awkwardly imitating your body is is working. Um, the there's there's a decent amount of people who are working from home. They may be a little less productive and a little more Netflix going on, but they're working at home. We keep thinking of things like very, very visible things like restaurants and movie theaters where nobody's there. But there is a lot of, of work still going on. Do you have any concept as to how much of the economy actually is shut off right now? Uh, well, if you just go by GDP estimates, we're looking at about as much as a 7 to 10 percent decline in the GDP in the second quarter. Mm. That's as pretty good of a rule of thumb as you can figure. 7 to 10 percent of the economy is just not happening at this point. Uh, but it, and it's going to grow over time if, if we don't get this 
uh, going. That's that's a huge amount. You're right. A lot of us are still working. In fact, I'm I'm still working while taking care of two homeschooled young kids. Mm. But um, a, about seven to ten percent of the economy is shut down, which is a substantial amount. We haven't seen the GDP contract like that since the 1930s. This is this is once a century Great Depression kind of stagnation at this point. Mm. Um, let me uh, go to uh, again. We're talking about small businesses a lot, and you know, this the same thing. I mean, there's also tons of money in there for larger businesses, and, and there's lots of details in the plan. I mean, you could see how they tried to attack this, right? I mean, it, 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 conceptually, some of it makes sense, but again, to implement something like this so quickly is so difficult. I, I heard an interview with someone I think it was on ABC who owned a spa. And I, listening to her tell her story was just soul crushing. She said, you know, the, the couple of weeks le- leading up to, I think it was March 23rd when they closed it, they had their business cut by 50% because who wants to go into a massage? You know, who wants to get a massage in the middle of this? Right now, of course, she's at zero revenue. She's hoping to get some sort of loan or unemployment, um, but she's running this company. We all know that on the other side of this, it's not like everyone's going to be rushing to get back into a situation where you're getting a massage from from somebody. There's, these types of businesses may very well just disappear out of the American landscape completely, at least for maybe years and maybe forever. Yeah, I mean, p- people aren't going to go right back. You know, you think of in the Great Depression of the 1930s, that scarred, you know, our, our grandparents and great grandparents for the rest of their lives. Mm. They hoarded cash in the walls of their house yeah. for the rest of their lives. You wonder how this is going to scar certain people who are going to avoid going out in public unless it's necessary. People who are going to consider things like spas and massages to be just too dangerous. Restaurants will probably, for the most part, come back. I don't think people are going to stop going out to eat. But the stuff that you mentioned, like spas, massages, the stuff that seems a a little less required in their lives, a lot of people, they're going to be scarred for a long time. They're not just going to jump right back in a couple weeks and go back to those. You're going to see a permanent contraction in certain parts of the economy. Let me let me get this last one here for you, because I've had a lot of this conversation with people on, generally speaking, on most issues, my side of the argument on the right, um, who are very strongly arguing for we got to open up this economy. We got to open this up, up this economy. And I really do understand it. I mean, I, the way the media kind of treats that claim is you want all old people to die is ridiculous. It is there is a trade off. We all understand this. It's part of our economic decisions every day. Um, but if you opened up this economy right now, it would be a horror show. I mean, no one would want to go back. These restaurants would, instead of being closed and at least keeping themselves healthy, would wind up opening themselves up to sickness and still would be a quarter filled if they were lucky. The, the, the option, you can go back in, in time and say, OK, well, we should have just done nothing and done our best to sort of mitigate this and open up the economy and, and not do what we've done here. That's an argument you can make in an academic sense. But where we are now, the path forward can't possibly be we just open this thing up. No, and this is this is where the government actually isn't as in control as, as as they might think. President Trump and every governor tomorrow could declare the economy reopened. They could they could declare all the schools open. I can tell you a lot of families will say, "Declare what you want. We're not sending our kids to school. Declare oh, yeah. what you want. I'm not going to work until until this gets better." So the restaurants still aren't going to get a lot of business. The movie theaters still aren't going to be filled up. It really doesn't matter what the government declares. Uh, and so I think we, we have to get a handle on this, whether it's mass testing or you know a slow gradual reopen to certain parts of the economy you know antibody testing whatever it is 
there has to be some sense of security that you're not sending your family out to the wolves, or it really doesn't matter what the government says. People are going to stay home. Mm. Nobody's better at breaking this stuff down. Brian Riedel uh, from uh, the Manhattan Institute. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on the program and, and hopefully getting people somewhere close to sanity in these times. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> Thanks so much, Stu. Back in a second. Happy to welcome Faithwire's managing editor, Mountain Dew connoisseur, and my good friend, Dan Andros, back to the program. Uh, Dan, there seems to be kind of a uh, an anti-faith thing going on in New York in the middle of this chaos where Bill de Blasio is coming out and stoking up fears of, of getting your medical treatments done by religious people. It is a bizarre situation. Yeah, it was a really weird reaction because what happened was Samaritan's Purse uh, obviously, Franklin Graham's, you know, massive uh, humanitarian uh, Christian aid organization that goes around the world. I mean, they've been operating for decades in all corners of the world, and they have the unique ability to set up field hospitals. They already set one up in uh, Italy. They went right into the hot zone in uh, Italy a few weeks ago and set up, you know, camp there. A, a, I think a 60-bed hospital uh, that could help with the overflow of COVID-19 patients. And so they did the same thing here in New York in Central Park. And then Mayor Bill de Blasio came out and said he was very concerned about uh, this organization coming in. And of course, he said the reason was because they're anti-LGBT. And Q and IA and plus. Don't forget about those groups right. as well. Um, course, you know, right. Usually, you know, I guess you could make the argument. I think if you're in a situation like New York City is in right now, you want as many hospitals there. You don't care if the KKK is running the hospital. You want somebody there freaking healing people and helping people get better. Um, but that is not who Samaritan's Purse is at all. They're, you know, they're a great organization. They, they, don't, they don't reject gay people, as far as I know, from treatment, do they, Dan? Uh, no, I mean, I can't feel like I said, they've been operating around the globe for you know decades and I have not ever heard of one time where they ask somebody, you know, coming in, like, what's their nationality? What's their sexuality? What's their whatever, whatever gender do they identify as? They haven't done any of that stuff and turned people away. Their mission is to help people on the front line. So um, so it's a very bizarre uh, thing to be concerned about. That's what I can't get to the bottom of. They seem to take like um, you know, because then, you know, other people have latched onto this. A city councilman was saying it as well. And they're kind of taking statements that Franklin Graham has said in the past and then saying, well, that's, you know, of course, he stands up for traditional marriage and all those sorts mm -hmm. of things. So but that to me has no, you know, his personal views on the definition of marriage um, has no bearing on what the performance has been of their organization out in the field. To me, that's what you have to look at. And if the organization has a record of, you know, mistreating people, well, then fine. Maybe you have something to be concerned about. But um, what Bill de Blasio ended up doing was sending a monitor from his office to actually watch um, Samaritan's Purse to make sure everyone's being treated equally, which I found pretty insulting. Oh, God. Can you imagine you're out there risking your life and they're like, well, we just want to make sure you don't say any uh, hateful words. Uh, I mean, it's just obviously completely ridiculous. You know, it's funny going through this uh, whole crisis. Uh, one of the things and we talked about it earlier on the show tonight was there's sort of like a, almost like a libertarian instinct that comes in in these moments where everyone's like, you know, those little things we usually worry about, like regulations and rules and and how many forms you have to file before you open up a hospital in the middle of New York City. Forget all of them. Do whatever you can. <laughs> and we're, we're seeing that through 
I think most of this experience, this is an example of that kind of old school woke thing that has generally evaporated uh, as soon as the virus showed up. Um, it's, it's kind of a, an example of that sort of, uh, you know, poking out its ugly head yet again. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think it was uh, Jamil Hill. I, I actually don't really know her name, but the ESPN, oh, ESPN the one yeah. who was on ESPN mm-hmm. got fired. Um, well, Robert Kraft had, um, you know, used his plane to go over to China to pick up like, I don't know, almost two million of those of those N95 masks and bring them back. And so she tweets it and she says, hey, you know, I'm just this is just a reminder here that uh, Robert Kraft supported Trump. And, you know, everybody, I mean, that thing got ratioed. And it's like, but to your point, like that's this isn't the time for your wokeness. Like the guy like who cares who this guy is donated to politically? He's he's sending his private plane over there to bring back a million masks. I mean, you know, this is that's a great thing. Just applaud it and call it a day. And I think people are recognizing the ridiculousness of the of the when you try to employ the woke stuff at this time in a crisis time when when we've all got a band together, everyone's like, that's just ridiculous. Just shut up. Yeah, Uh, it really is. And, you know, and look, it's a pretty central part of Christianity to care for anyone who has any belief, who has in any spot. I mean, it's pretty central to many, many stories uh, throughout uh, the Bible. Um, And, you know, the Samaritan's Purse has not only done this in the United States, as you point out, Italy, but I mean, they were also in the middle. I mean, just going right into the middle of the Ebola hot zone uh, when that was breaking out. I mean, these this is an incredible organization and they are fearless. Yeah, they are. And and again, like they're going into these nations that have all different kinds of people. I mean, Liberia, for example, I think is about 15 percent or 20 percent Muslim. So obviously they were helping some Muslims over there. One of the complaints that that these critics of Franklin Graham have is that he's he doesn't like Muslim people, et cetera, et cetera. And it's you know, it's 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 really silly to try to latch on to these, uh, you know, what are a lot of times just standard Christian views like the definition of marriage and then try to define that as hate. That's always been a frustrating disconnect for me um, when I watch like when the bakers are sued and and things of that nature. It's you know, they take something you know, that's a deeply held personal belief. And um, they extend that to, oh, you're trying to deny me service. And, I, and I've never understood how they can't see the difference there of, well, I can't endorse your definition of marriage because I believe marriage is something different. But if you want something else, I'll serve you. Like that is a very different thing than, hey, what are you gay? Get out of my store. Like, yeah, uh, yeah totally. that's a different thing. And if that's happening, everyone would condemn that. And but that's just not what's happening. It's also, you know, I think they know that. Right. Like they do know the difference. It's just, you know, so many of them do. I think they just use it as a kind of a tool. Um, speaking of tools, the Daily Beast, uh, they wrote something about this uh, particular uh, topic where you had, I guess, like kind of a more progressive Christian writer uh, say, you know what? Actually, the left is right on this one. You should be able to uh, to bash them for building hospitals in Central Park. Yeah, he, the writer there justified, you know, the, 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 the concern from de Blasio saying, yeah, they should be justified and basically listed off a what I would call like a best of of media matters type clips of Franklin Graham and said, see, that's the type of person that's coming in here and you can't trust them uh, to to care for the people of New York City. And it's like, you know, again, I don't I don't see how you can take these comments. You know, for example, they listed the ones against Muslims and it's like, well, he tried to ban Muslims. He was for a Muslim ban. And you you look at his actual quote and he's talking about immigration policy. Now, you can agree or disagree with that policy all you want. And he was saying we needed a stricter policy, but he's not talking about how we treat 
Muslim people when they're here or when they're sick or when we're on the front lines. That's not what we're talking about at all. Yeah. So to me, that's just a completely unfair argument. I go back to, uh, you know, when you are in a situation where your life is on the line, you're going to take help from anyone. We see this in, in examples of war. Marcus Luttrell's story is this, right? I mean, Marcus Luttrell was on the verge of death until he was helped by Afghanis who were, who were there. Many of them were probably shooting at him you know, 10 minutes earlier, um, but they took him into his home and they, they helped him nurse him back to health. There's stories like that throughout wartime. I mean, this is, you're talking about a disagreement about a, a marriage policy and that's too far for the woke crew. We are in a weird freaking place. Yeah, I mean, and look, again, if Samaritan's Purse had a history of, or Christians had a history of actually acting out against people, then you would have a point. But that's just not the case. That's not reality. And but they're but they're trying to leave that impression that it is. And that's why I think it's important to actually speak out to this topic, because uh, you, you can't let that narrative go out there that, well, geez, this is dangerous because they're Christian mm. and, and they're gay. Like they might hurt him. Like, no, that's not good. That is not what happens. All right, hang on for a second. We're going to come back. We have a, b- a bunch of uh, other news to go over, including a brand new recommendation uh, for you and your face. Back in a second. Welcome back. Uh, also still joined by uh, Dan Andros as we're kind of going through some of the crazy news today. Um, there was a new recommendation made about your face. They don't want to see it anymore when you're in public. Uh, they have now recommended nationwide to give face masks. You want to be wearing them every time you go into public now. Every time you're in public, you need to be wearing a face mask. That's a recommendation of the uh, administration. Now, I will say Trump came out and said he was going to choose not to wear one. So we don't expect to see any uh, press conferences with Donald Trump in a mask anytime soon. Um, I don't know. It's a weird thing because I'm, I am... I do feel like this has been coming for a little while. There's been some, you know, conflicting evidence on this stuff. Um, But I also kind of don't want to wear a mask. And I'm a little annoyed that they've been telling us for a while that we shouldn't be wearing one. And now all of a sudden they're switching their guidance on that. Well, I don't think you have to worry about actually watch, uh, wearing the masks, too, because I put the odds at people actually following this somewhere between zero and zero percent. Like, I just, I just don't think. I mean, some people will do it. I mean, I guess in New York they might do it. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm just like I saw a lady. I went out. I had to go to, uh, you know, one of the Home Depot Lowe's, one of those stores last night yeah. uh, to get something. And there was a lady out there with like a shirt and like coughing into it being like, sorry, I don't feel well. Like <laughs> people just aren't thinking now anyway. So I just I don't think they're going to be doing it. So it wasn't a shirt like worn as a, a veil or a mask or something. They were just like she's just coughing into her normal shirt like a normal sick person would. No, no, she actually had a shirt. She like had she obviously knew she needed something. I don't know why she thought she was out like <laughs> or had to go out and get whatever the heck she was getting at the store. But, you know, Tara's like my wife's going, you know, she said she's sick. And I'm like, eh, I don't think that's uh, let's get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's not a there's no um, hammer and nail set that is worth uh, getting coronavirus. Uh, they are saying that they're going to f- uh, find people in Laredo, Texas uh, now if you are caught out without a mask. And I, this is really frustrating because the guidance they gave from the beginning was you didn't need these masks. And it seemingly was a, a, a ploy to get people to not hoard them, which I understand, but then tell them not to hoard them. You have to be able to trust the American people. You can't just lie to them. Um, on this front, um, Brooke Baldwin Uh, from CNN uh, has come out and said now she has coronavirus. 
Um, one of the things about that, which is interesting, is she explains throughout the entire article that she followed every rule. She did the social distancing thing. She washed her hands nine million times a day. And, you know, look, there are some people I would doubt that they were following the rule. For some reason, Brooke Baldwin is one of those people that I, I believe actually was following every single rule. She just strikes me as the type of person who would be completely perfect on that and maybe slightly annoying and abusive to her co-workers. Um, uh, I guess rightfully so, we now learn, because she uh, has the coronavirus, um, and I think this is part of it. There's been these reports of scientists coming to the administration saying, well, you know what, we're, you know how we were saying it was these sneeze droplets for a long time? We think maybe, maybe it's in the air. Just want to lay that out there. We think maybe it's in the air. Everybody should be wearing masks. This is really frustrating. I understand it's difficult to track down, but man, I mean, the Brooke Baldwin thing, I think, shines a light on the fact that we probably should have been wearing masks this entire time. What are the odds, uh, Stu, that the CNN, I mean, obviously Cuomo got it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what are the odds that maybe they had a huge rating spike when he did that? And they were like, you know what? We need to like make sure someone else on our staff has it. And like, I mean, maybe she doesn't even have it. I'm just going to go right to the tinfoil hat with CNN. And I'm mm-hmm. just going to say, maybe this is a ratings ploy. Well, thank you. Alex okay, I'm, jo- Jones. I'm joking. Media matters. No. Stop it. I'm joking. <laughs> Alex Jones on the program uh, today. Um, no, it's tr- <laughs> I, It's funny because it's funny you say that because I have never been interested in anything Chris Cuomo has ever said. Until like the other day, right? Like he's got coronavirus and like now I kind of want to hear what he has to say. So maybe you're right. I don't know. It's a way it is a way to get a little more attention. Sidebar here. What do you uh, make of these the the Cuomo brothers uh, banter? Have you been enjoying that or do you think it's the most annoying thing on planet Earth? Yeah, I'm going to lean annoying on that one. I know a lot of people do enjoy it. Uh, You know, I don't want to hear anything from any one of the Cuomos. I'm not a fan. <laughs> really, I don't think I do not think Andrew Cuomo is doing a good job. There's these moments of levity with his brother. Like, oh, mom told you to come on and give me an update. It, I, right. I find it just uh, right. I can't even we're, swallow it. We're in the middle of a we're in the middle of a pandemic and we've got to watch the Cuomo brothers hilarious <laughs> comedy show. Like, I don't I don't get why this is a thing. I, I, I don't either. And it's not a part of society I want to continue. You know, it's weird, all these changes that we're kind of seeing going on right now. Um, I was I woke up uh, yesterday morning and I used to listen to a station, radio station in New York, WCBS 880 all the time. It's just, you know, get news updates and stuff. It's an all news station. And I thought ah, this would be interesting in the middle of this crisis to hear how they're talking or what this sounds like. Um, so I, I turned it on in the morning and first of all, they're still doing traffic updates every eight, 10 minutes on the eights or whatever. And it's like, well, there's nobody on the roads. I don't know. There's no traffic update to give here. There's nothing. Then they go into a sports update, which also there's nothing to update. It's just another, maybe Wimbledon got canceled, I think was the big news of the day, but there's not much going on in the sports world. Um, and what was fascinating, I thought was they go to the top of the hour and they always give out the time. And the date, and then, you know, it's uh, July 1st, it's 7 a.m. or whatever it is. They've now added in the day of the week. And the anchor was explaining because a lot of people are now just forgetting what day it is. There's no structure in their lives anymore. So now it's Thursday. They are actually adding <laughs> in. I don't, That's not a good sign for society, Dan. No, not a good sign for society, but I will say it's needed because on Tuesday this week, I woke up and I honestly thought it was Saturday. And so I had that horror. I mean, that, that I mean, I've, I've had the. <laughs> that's not I've even close. Wait, wait, wait. No, I can understand missing close. by a day, Tuesday to Saturday. Those are literally do. the furthest parts apart from the week that is humanly possible. 
But I think it says speaks to where we're at because I normally would not. That's the worst I've ever had because I usually get that on like a Thursday and I'm like, sure, ah, it's still a Friday to go. But uh, this is the first time that's ever happened. It literally was Tuesday. I was like, oh, sweet. It's Saturday. I was like, it's Tuesday. <laughs> oh, and it's, it's a weird thing, too, in that like there's no more weekend celebration right now. Like right now. Like I, you know, after the show, I'm going to go home like a big weekend. It's like my, my wife is going to be like, I've been here the entire time. And there's nowhere to go. And uh, <laughs> that's kind of the situation for everybody right now. Um, let me uh, go to um, New York, because as we're talking about, you know, the, the changes with WCBS and all that other stuff. And there's been a lot of interesting cultural changes that have happened. Some things have not changed. Look at this picture from Rush Hour. Uh, in, I mean, this is incredible. Uh, rush hour in, uh, in New York. Um, this is not the one that I saw, but it's, it's, you know, there's a decent amount of people there. You do see some, um, you do see some actual, uh, masks there. There were pictures yesterday. They were going floating around the internet of jam packed subways, just like they used to be when we worked in New York city. And I, you know, they have to keep these things running for like nurses and stuff to get to the hospital. So I'm not surprised they're running. I am surprised that people would pile into a metal tube filled with coronavirus. (laughs) I'm not entirely surprised, Stu, because I remember when we did that commute every day, uh, you know, back in the day when we were in New York on, you know, Fox and et cetera. And like, you just get to that point where you don't care about, I mean, like the subway system, like beats the life right out of you. So all those people there in the subway are pretty much already dead anyway, (laughs) um, because you know, you're just dead to life. You walk around. I remember people saying like, how could you not know? Like, you know, somebody died in the subway and people walk by him for six hours. It's like, I absolutely believe that could happen because you just, your head down and you're just, you're so numbed to everything around you after doing that day after day after day. So oh, yeah, that's, that's not a, entirely surprised. That's a criticism that comes from other parts of the country only. When you live in New York, they always have that story, like a man died and rode on the subway in circles for 12 hours before anyone noticed. And you're like, I'm surprised anyone noticed in 12 hours. Like, what was the thing that changed the situation? Like, there are there are homeless people sleeping on these things all the time. You, you there's no way. What are you going to do? Wake you wake each one up and say, I just want to make sure you weren't dead, sir. I apologize. I think that's a little bit worse, uh, to be honest with you. Um, uh, I wanted to get to this story, though, before we go, um, because uh, this is about nurses in, in New York. And we've done a lot of uh, work here on this program covering price gouging. And we are totally against that, as you know. Um, Maybe you go back and watch the price gouging show uh, where we caught the New York Times, um, uh, by the way, price gouging after they were complaining about it. Um, But here is a a story about uh, New York. And I'm interested if people think the same way because nurses are currently going into this hot zone and they are working and we're all giving them incredible credit and they're they're heroes of our community. However, they're making $9,500 a week to go work in these zones. They're seven, eight, nine, ten times the normal pay rate. Are the nurses price gouging the system? Because we're told you're not allowed to overcharge for going for hazard pay. Here they are taking all of these risks, uh, going into these areas and making, you know, what would amount to $500,000 a year worth every penny. In fact, probably double that. But that is not price gouging. Price gouging is in, this is a perfect example of why price gouging is actually good. We have actual nurses who will get rewarded, but also will go into these areas where they otherwise might not. Uh, we got to leave it there. Dan Andros from FaithWire.com. Uh, thanks for coming on and, uh, and doing this today. And uh, be safe. Get your mask on. Indeed. <laughs> All right. We'll be back in a second.
can watch the final Star Wars uh, at home this weekend. And since I know you won't be doing that, blazetv.com slash stew. Get a Blaze TV subscription. Watch all the shows you love. Use the promo code stew and save 30 bucks off your subscription.